Tired of ads crashing your comedy podcast party? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts, included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app or visit amazon.com slash comedy ad free. That's amazon.com slash comedy ad free. And catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And here's your prescription. I know just the pharmacy to get this filled. Who are you? A pharmacy benefit manager. A middleman your insurer uses to decide which medicines you can get, what you pay, and sometimes even which pharmacy you should go to. Why can't I go to a pharmacy in my neighborhood? Because I make more money when you go to a pharmacy I own. <laughs> no one should stand between you and your medicine. Visit phrma.org slash middleman to learn more. Paid for by Pharma. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hello, I am Emily Walsh, and I'm here with my co-host, as always, Carly Montag. Hello. And welcome to Alone at Lunch. We like to talk to comedians, podcasters, and all sorts of other people about a time in their life that they felt like the odd one out. And boy, do we get into it. We talk to people who have been on The Tonight Show, HBO, Comedy Central, Netflix, TikTok, and everywhere else you can watch content these days. We talk about gender identity, being the school mascot, dumpster diving for food, slumber parties, science camp, qualifying for the Olympics, and we call out our junior high bullies. Sometimes we get deep, and sometimes we just giggle for an hour straight. But either way, it's a wild ride you don't want to miss. So come join us for a nostalgia-filled hour every Monday. New episodes are also available one week early on Amazon Music. Or if you want to listen early and ad-free, you can subscribe to Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts or the Wondery app. Goodbye. Bye. Yo, 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 and welcome back to Creeps and Crimes Podcast. I'm Taylor. And I'm Morgan, but you guys already know that. You this already is know that. Episode 140. 140. Happy and June. Happy Pride Month. Happy birth month taylor guys i know you like are dming us messaging us commenting where's the pride merch we tried our best we did. we are going to maybe be able to do a collab but it's still up in the air if it is one it would be released today when this episode goes out so go check out our instagram creeps and crimes podcast but we just really can't find a merch vendor that we trust yeah and after what happened we're not tolerating who we went with last time nope. and therefore we're not going to give you guys shit products nope so if you put it in the washer, we can promise you from here on out that it's not going to rip to shreds and that you're going to get it within right. the two week time frame of your shipping. Right. And we won't pick a vendor until those they can be those yes. simple demands, simple demands <laughs> and send us a good sample that doesn't literally explode. Blowed in my washer, or, burn on the side or of my dryer, upside down. Yep. So you know what? We're we're just gonna you're gonna have to bear with us. We just don't want you guys wasting your money, wasting your time. Like we just care way too much about you guys and the stuff that you invest in when t- coming to us. Like something that's yeah. tied to our name. Like we're cheap bitches. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so we're not gonna be doing something to you guys that we wouldn't buy on our own. Right. Anyways, that's it. But you're not gonna be able to have video for a little bit. We might be able to get it up on the back end, and we're definitely gonna be using it in some video clips that. That we can post but I'm going to be going to Italy Morgan's going to be helping me with like the transcript editing and we just and too there's much. no shot I can learn video at the same no time. I, I don't have the <laughs> fucking time to teach her the video editing process it's miserable so and she would literally have to take the entire computer with her so yeah. we're not doing that yeah there's no way for me to get it over to where I needed no to shot so we're hopefully going to be able to get you the video started up in July again but you will have clips and I'm going to do my best to get you up to 140 before I leave but if I don't 
just know that it was for my mental health that it didn't go out yeah, that mind way. your fucking business it's mind your june fucking business. it's summer bitches it's summer and i'm gonna be just you know being a little jet setter i can't wait i get for the to fix. go literally ham also this weekend i am heading well when you listen to this i'll be on a bachelorette trip and we'll already see the mm. we'll already see the product prepared to be sick of me bitch prepared to I'm be so sick of excited me. Anyways, guys, we're really excited for this episode today. We got some really interesting cases for you. It's pretty good. Yeah, I like pretty it. Good. Me too. We just recorded it. So we just recorded it. We came back. It was actually supposed to be this episode was supposed to be for next week, but yeah. we decided to do a little switcheroo. You know, we've been doing our creepy account as a regular episode, which you told you is only gonna happen for the summer, possibly, depending on how you guys feel about it and also yeah. like what it looks like on terms of analytics. We want to make sure that more of you guys are getting to experience the creepy accounts, which is why we're doing this little experiment. So just bear with us until we figure out what works best for everyone. Don't forget to let us know how you feel about it by commenting, DMing us, whatever. You know, DMs are always open. So next week, you're going to get your creepy account. We're trying the second week out You sound time. like a radio show host right now. I am immediately Our doing DMs that. are already open and they're open now. Hit the line, mm, Hit the line. Get the calls open. Crimes in the morning. Creeps in the morning. In the morning. In the morning. Let's get creepy. If you want to be a Patreon, just go to the April Fool's episode. <laughs> <laughs> just immediately head there. Right now, in the time that we're recording this, it's frigid outside. No, because it was literally 90 degrees this weekend. Yeah. Yeah. And I had such good intentions to lay out by the pool mm-hmm. yesterday. I wake up to let Ollie out and I wear just like, you know, pajamas, shorts and T-shirt. And I'm like, I'm I literally have chicken legs right now. Goosebumps. I woke up so frigid this morning. I was shivering in my bed and I was yeah. like, what month is it? Yeah. No pool for us. No yesterday pool. or today. No, nope. it's still 55 degrees. The boys are golfing. They Great are. golfing weather. Yeah. Yeah, I'll hear all about it. It was such good golf. Oh my god, it felt so good outside. Today. It felt so good. It wasn't too sunny. It was great. We walked because it felt so good. <laughs> They're not walking. Not a shot. Yeah, you know, I heard that conversation. Maybe we should just walk around, get a little workout in. I'm like, all right, <laughs> we'll talk later. I guess. Well, but I mean, tell me why it was 10:45 in the morning and Aaron gets out of the shower, has his golf clothes on, and his clubs pulled out. I'm like, really? I was on the phone when you made the tea time. It was 1:10. So why are we getting ready now? Just relax. Because it went down to Lenore City. He takes out his clubs. He's in the middle of our living room. He starts swinging. No. In his practice swings. I said, we literally have a putting green in this apartment complex. Go. Walk your ass down there with your clubs and practice them on the putting green, not in my living room. Did he? No, he Um, didn't. Kept going in the living room. No, he's like, well, we got to. We're leaving early. I'm like, for what? I was like, are you golfing nine? No, 18. Oh, I'm like, perfect. Great. We'll never see them again. And Logan told me to wait on him to go to Target. So no shot. No shot. And I We're guarantee gonna you they're going to be done. like, hey, uh, Soccer Taco. Or they go and they don't tell us. Yeah. And, and then we call them. We're like, what are you guys doing? Oh, we're at Soccer Taco. Great. We're like, okay. Thanks. 100% bring us something. Thanks for the fucking invite. Please. Like, we're fucking starving here. No, this morning, Logan was like, hey, while you're at the house today, I'm like, while well, I'm at the house today. <laughs> you mean while I'm working? While I'm working. Right while I'm working, Morgan and I deserve to be arrested because we cannot shut the F up in intros. And the last five intros I've had to edit have been a full episode. We're going to stop this one now. All right. If you're driving, throw that shit on cruise control. If you get a glass, pour that shit up and let's get creepy. Okay, Morgan, what do you have for us today? Okay, so today I am covering the Allagash abductions. And part of me, while conjuring up these notes, made me feel like I 
have covered this, but I also think it's very similar to the Devil's Den mm -hmm. case that I did. So if I did cover it, it might have just been like a mini case within like a Barney and Betty Hill. Yeah. Or something like that. So if you've heard it, you haven't. I need a chart me. of everything we've ever covered on Patreon. Because yeah. Taylor, this happened the same, this the case the same that Taylor thing. is covering today. Yeah. We went through the same thing. We were like, there's no way I haven't covered this, right? Because we talk about yeah. instances so much, like just in passing. Mm -hmm. In like other cases, especially you when you're talking about alien abductions and right ghosts or like and missing shit. time. Like I did three mini cases within missing time. Yeah. So like it's hard. It's hard to find those. Yeah. But and like we don't always like detail that in the description. So yeah. then after the fact, we're like, shit, we're searching Google Docs. Yeah. I did Google Docs search all of the names in this case and none of them were hit for my Google Docs and Creeps and Crimes. So I we're think good. we're in the clear. I think we're in the clear. But nonetheless, I think it's very similar to Double Stun case. So I'm excited. In August of 1976, twin brothers Jack and Jim Weiner or Weiner and two of their friends, Chuck Rock and Charlie Foltz, went on a two-week camping trip in the Alagash Wilderness in Maine. Alagash is a town in Aroostook County, northern Maine, and the woodlands are well-traveled between hunters, hikers, and campers. They see it all. It's not very residential, home to less than 300 full-time residents. It's pretty desolate, isolated, and a good place to enjoy the outdoors before summer came to an end. On the first day upon arrival, the four men made up camp, started up a fire, and decided that they would go check out the river. So they made their way down to the bank with their canoe, loaded in, and began to paddle or row upstream. It's rowing, right, in a yeah. canoe? Not paddling. Well, I guess you could say both. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's paddle, a right? A paddle. So like you're rowing. You're rowing the, the paddle. The act of moving the paddle is rowing, right? Okay, yeah, I think you're right. Okay. <laughs> One at a time, the four men started noticing something strange. There was a light following them. Ooh. But it was no reflection of the sun. This was different. It stayed a little behind and followed them as they went up the river. Jim later recalled, according to Unsolved.com, and this entire case I talk about at the end is from Unsolved Mysteries. Mm. There's an episode on it. Yeah. So I get a lot of quotes from Unsolved.com of them reenacting or them referencing their thing. I love Unsolved. Yeah, me too. So Jim says, quote, it was just floating above the treetops. Didn't seem to be moving in any direction. And I looked at it through the binoculars for maybe 15 seconds, 30 seconds, and it suddenly just winked out from the outside edges inward. I mean, it literally just went whoop like that and it was gone. There was something about this thing that left me with an odd feeling that wasn't quite right, but I really didn't dwell on it. Of course it was odd, but their first initial thought was that it was just the sun or reflection. So they really thought nothing of it and they continued to row. They enjoyed their time on the river and eventually made their way back to camp. It wasn't until two nights later that they would realize that this light wasn't the sun. After a day of hiking and exploring, it was time to fish. So the four men headed back out to the canoe and they were casting lines and ripping lips. Oh, yeah. Yeehaw. Ripping lips. Let's go. And that's when they noticed it again. Nope. After a quick conversation and some deliberation that this was not the sun, Charlie decided to signal it. Oh, but Chuck was the first to spot it and would later say, I had a feeling there was something staring at me from behind me. I turned over my right shoulder like that and I saw this large round globe of light that looked exactly like what we had seen two days previously. But Charlie wanted to signal it. So he waved his hands. He gave a little SOS signal, which I don't really know 
what the SOS signal is. Yeah, what is it? That's what he kept referencing it as, the SOS signal. Okay, we need to figure out what that like, is. That's to like a survivor skill. To me, I'm thinking this. S-O-S. Like, like a cheerleader. Yeah, like a cheerleader. The SOS. Like, I mean, what is the SOS? Like, I don't know. Sign language? I could do sign language. S-O-S. I don't know. Or is it just like a... SOS. Or is it just like a fucking help me? And also, why are you giving an SOS signal? It obviously means you're in distress. You right. guys are fishing. You're I'm going to Google what the sh- SOS signal is because we probably should know that if we ever got stranded somewhere. Right. Like, and I get that you like make a big fire. Like that's a symptom. Yeah, you could do like or not smoke. A symptom, but like a signal. Yeah, through like, isn't it like Morse code, but in smoke signals? I don't know. I learned that from Scooby-Doo. I'm pretty positive. Really? I swear to God. Hmm. I learned it from Scooby-Doo. What is... The SOS signal. Okay, let me see. I'm so curious to know. Okay, so we have, a, it's a sequence or proper use. Okay, so Morse code. Okay, well then. I don't know Morse code. So what uh, do I do when, when three I'm in dots, that situation? Three dashes, three dots. No spaces between so the letters. So maybe it's like dun, dun, dun. Fist, fist, fist. Slide, slide, slide. Fist, fist, fist. Like that's my dots and slashes and dots. Right. I'm going to have to let me look for images and then I'll let you know. Okay. So Charlie waves his hands, gives his fist, 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 slash, 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 fist, fist, fist signal. And then the light full force switched directions and started beaming down onto them, blinding them. Okay. Okay. The SOS, there's multiple ways that you can do it. So you can do the flashlight. You can do gun fired in intervals of eight minutes or three minutes. And then the dot, 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 dash, 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 dot, dot, dot. Or you can do Mayday. Got it. Parachute with a red flare. What if you don't have any of that stuff? Then for your arms, you just put them out like in a starfish and you go high V. (laughs) High V. T. Low V. V. But not like an all the way low V. Okay. Like a medium. Yeah. And not an all the way high B. Okay. So I don't know if it means like you're just waving or if you're like individually stopping in those locations. But that's the only S- wave S- one. S- like, because oh, oh, oh. <laughs> it just says like swing your arms, but then it's got the block in the middle. So I'm guessing that you stop. Oh, probably. You know what I mean? Yeah, because that's like anyone could wave like this. Right. And with the smoke, you can either just do like an influx of smoke and then you block it to do like patterns with it. Good to but know. like, what if we're like, I'm a good pattern. Everything's good pattern. Yeah. Mayday, arm wave, smoke, position indicating radio beacon. Okay. <laughs> Guys, good luck if something ever fucking happens to us. No, because my SOS will literally be, okay, five, six, seven, high B one, <laughs> T two, low B three. <laughs> They're like, oh, there's cheerleaders down there on the, <laughs> at the island. How'd they get out there? To do what are cheerleaders doing that fucking routine for? I'm like, maybe they can't see us. We need to do it in toe touch form. Yeah. <laughs> Five, six, seven, hit one. And we're doing snow angels on the beach. And yeah. that's just what it comes down to at that point. Oh, shit. Okay. So they notice this beam. He gives the SOS signal and it switches direction, starts beaming down onto them blinding them well this freaked them the fuck out yeah so they drew their lines back in and they decided to head back to camp and they recalled that this light followed them the entire way jim said that it had this roiling effect to it like a miniature sun it was very very bright it would light up the treetops like it was daylight even though it was like evening time And it was just absolutely silent. Like there was no other sound that they could hear while fishing. It was so close to them that he said he remembers thinking he could just pick up a stone, bounce it off this thing's side. Like that's how close it was. 
And then all of a sudden, it just like went away very, very fast and within a few seconds. And he said it was like a star, like just a shooting star in the sky. But it was it was still fucking weird. Right. As they were heading back up to camp, there was no panic. They were all pretty relaxed. And when they got back to camp, things were off. Anytime they left for the day, they didn't follow the put out the fire rule. You know, the yeah. one that everyone needs to follow. Put you out know, the fire. Put out leave. the fucking fire because Smokey the Bear. Right. You know, he told you yeah. to. Like you're in Gatlinburg, put out the fucking fire. Put don't, out your damn don't fire. Don't let us tell you again. Instead, they would light this big blazing fire so that it would be up and ready for them to fillet their fish if they caught or cook whatever they were having for dinner. This is the most man thing I've ever heard in yeah. my entire life. But when they got back, their fire was completely put out. Oh, my God. Not like hot coal that was still like orangey, like completely burnt out, cold ash. Oh, my God. This didn't make any sense. They were only gone for a couple minutes. Actually, they all agreed that they were only gone for 20 minutes. But it was like the fire had been put out for hours. And again, they didn't light a little bitch fire. Their fires were like soaring flames into the treetops. Probably would have started a wildfire because they didn't follow the Smoky Bear rule. 100%. The men just dubbed it up to just be another mystery of their trip. And they continued on. Jack would later recall, quote, the unusual thing is that we didn't stay up for hours and discuss this thing, which is what you'd think four young guys on a camping trip would do. We all just seemed very fatigued and we wanted to go to bed. The next morning, we got up and got our camp together and paddled to the next campsite. And the rest of their camping experience was pretty uneventful. They enjoyed their time together and their time outdoors. They continued fishing, hiking, canoeing, and they never saw this light again. They went home and they claimed to have told their families about the weird light. But again, they didn't think anything of it. And the family was like, "Okay, guys, like, cool. Sounds good. Looks like you probably saw the fucking sun. You're just being dramatic. You're being dramatic. We would literally like, make fun of the boy. No, we wouldn't. We'd be like, oh my God, you guys saw an alien. They'd be like, no. No, it was the sun. Yeah, they would think yeah. we were dramatic of their own story. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. So they didn't think anything of it until 12 years later in 1988. Twin brothers, Jim and Jack, were not able to sleep. They were having nightmares and the same nightmare nonetheless. In their sleep, almost every night, they were having flashbacks to that camping trip, but not any memory that they physically remember. No, these nightmares had the four boys on a strange craft or building, and one was always laying on a table with something covering their chest. Mm -mm. And the other three were sitting completely naked on a bench. Oh my God. Even in their dreams, they were embarrassed. They felt exposed. And surrounding the table with whoever was laying on the table at that point in time, because in the, their nightmares, it would constantly change. It would rotate who was laying on the table. That's not good. Surrounding the table was two beings, large head and large black eyes. And standing in front of the three that were naked on the bench was another being with the same description, just standing there, like monitoring them, overwatching them, mm. just standing there looking at him basically yeah. jack said about his nightmares he said quote i was starting to have nightmares really terrible nightmares that i could not explain i found myself in a very brightly lit room i had no idea where i was or why i was there to my left i could see my brother jim chuck and charlie sitting on some type of bench and they were all naked i was wondering why they weren't helping me because i felt like i was in danger and while I'm trying to figure this out, I noticed this figure or this dark, shadowy type figure emerging from this light, this bright light in front of me. I would wake up sweating and breathing heavily in just a state of terror and shock. And Jim was having similar dreams as his twin brother, Jack. 
Jim says there were always certain elements of the dream that were the same. Some type of creature being helpless, feeling violated was a feeling that he often woke up with. And in every dream, they were with Charlie and Chuck. And they knew this had to be connected to their camping trip 12 years prior. Yeah. When they reached out to Charlie and Chuck, who were also having flashback nightmares of the camping trip, the twins decided to reach out for some help. So they contacted UFO researcher Ray Fowler. Ray had suggested that maybe they should all four undergo hypnosis with a trained hypnotherapist to try to figure out more details, fill in the gaps of their story that we're obviously missing and Mm -hmm. see if their nightmares really were anything real. Right. And the four did. Under hypnosis, the four guys each were able to recall memories of being abducted that were absolutely terrifying. But the scariest part was that almost all four of the stories were the same. They all four said they were taken into an aircraft. All four of them were asked to strip naked. All four were subject to medical examination and all four had samples taken from them. Their skin, their blood, urine, and semen. (gasps) After the hypnosis, they were separated and asked to draw like illustrations of their memories that they were able to gather from their hypnosis session. Mm -hmm. Unsolved actually had some excerpts from the actual hypnosis session because they were recorded. (gasps) So I'm going to read some of those because I don't think we're allowed to play them. So the first one was from Jim Weiner. I think it's Weiner. It's spelled Weiner. Um, whichever. I like Weiner. Me too. Just for the sake of the storytelling. Just so we're not saying Weiner the entire time. Yeah. Weiner, Weiner. Jim W. Jim Dub. This is from his actual hypnosis session. Quote, they're there. They don't know what to do. I think they think I'm going to come after them. I feel like I want to. I feel like I want to, the first one that comes near me, I'm going to throttle him. I don't like these things. I don't care where they come from. They shouldn't be doing this to people. Let's go throttle him. What does that mean? Throttle, full throttle, pedal to the metal. Like just gonna fucking like deck his ass? Wreck him. Yeah. And then Jack says during his session, they're right there. Their face is right in my face. I don't know why. I don't want to know. I don't want to know what they want. They're saying things. In my head, they're saying things. Don't be afraid. They say, do what we say. Just do what we say. You know what? What's Telepathic f- communication freaks me That's fuck fucked. Out. That's fucked. But like, how weird is it to see the different emotions between like, second one's very nervous. And mm-hmm. he's like, I don't want to know what they're doing. I just want this to and be the first brother is probably the protector. That yeah, I'm going to fucking wreck these guys. <laughs> full throttle these fuckers. I'm going to literally full throttle them. <laughs> and the other one's like, I'm scared. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. They're talking to me. Right. I would be terrified. Yeah, me too. But I don't know. Maybe I would. I mean, I guess that's like fight or flight. Like Mm -hmm. truly. Yeah. Yeah. And Charlie recalls or sorry, Charlie says he's describing what they're in. It's like a doctor's office. I get that. It's cold like a doctor's office is cold. They put the panel over your chest. Then they scrape your arms and your chest, your legs and thighs. We shouldn't be here. I just I just keep thinking I want to be back in the canoe. Wow. So this happened in the canoe. Yes. When they were fishing. Right. Oh, shit. Yeah. Because remember, they called the SOS, the light beamed down on them. And they were like, and then it fuck that. And, that's in the, and they next thing they remember was rowing back to shore. Right. But they don't they didn't know that their memories were gone at that time. Until they went down into hypnosis and started having these dreams. Right. Ooh. And Chuck's recollection was more so about what they were doing to Charlie. Mm. He said during hypnosis, 
I see some sort of device on him. They've got a, this looks like a silvery. It looks like it's got curves on it. It's almost like, like it sucks something. He's got his head tipped way back. It's almost like he's in pain where we can't help him. All we can do is watch him. God. And that's actually the picture that Chuck drew after his hypnosis session. It was Charlie laying on the table and the other three sitting there naked watching what they were doing to him, waiting for their turn. So whatever happened to Charlie must have been really traumatic for the guys to see. Yeah. So he probably was first. I would guess. Yeah, for them to all be just like fucking really yeah. scarred by that. Yeah. And it wasn't until after the hypnosis that these four men were told and realized that they all had recalled the almost exact events that day on their camping Jeez. trip. This was kind of odd, though, right? Like, it's odd that, to me, it's odd that hypnosis worked on all four of the guys. Right. One, because men are so skeptical. Mm -hmm. Most often will refuse to go under hypnosis. And in the back of their mind, like, they, they refuse so hard that it never happens, right. you know? That's literally what Logan said the other day. Yeah. He was like, someone would have to literally knock me out to make me go into hypnosis. Yeah. And number two, it's unlikely that it works to pull all of these memories out at the first encounter the first session of hypnosis we'd have we get four stories that are all the same it's just a little odd mm -hmm. so they were asked to each take a polygraph test oh and they all fucking pass <gasps> for the next 28 years these men never let up even with all the criticism all the skeptics. Specifically, the biggest skeptic was a man named Dr. William Cohn. And Dr. William Cohn believes that alien abductions are sometimes and most of the time driven by the media, images and uh, movies, mm -hmm. pop culture, things that we see from horror films. Right. And he says that it's media driven and people just start to believe that maybe they have had something like that happen to them. And then they're constantly thinking about it. They then convince themselves and mm -hmm. it's all it was never real to begin with. Right. But for 28 years, these men have had their stories ridiculed in the media, told their truth is not their truth, and they never backed down. Charlie said, quote, this happened. If you believe it, that's all right. If you don't believe it, I don't care. Me I don't either. care because it happened. Okay, Charlie, me too. Their story rocketed them into the spotlight. They had appearances on the Joan Rivers show and even got their very own episode in Unsolved Mysteries, where most of my information came from today. This event, this hypnosis, this going into the media catapulted them into the list of UFO abductees that is very quite long. Mm -hmm. And they were going to conventions and they even had book deals. But in 2016, Chuck dropped a bombshell. No. Something happened in 2016 that caused Chuck to have a falling out with Charlie, Jim, and Jack. No. And Chuck went public, <gasps> stating that the entire thing never happened. <gasps> and that the Allagash abductions was just a money-making scheme. He stated that his hypnosis was just a lie. Quote, we were compelled to stay together, all speculating that this thing could go into the millions of dollars for each of us, yet we made very little. He stated that they were all using the drug hashish, hashish or hash, which is yeah. made by compressing the cannabis plants, just an yeah. extract of marijuana. And he stated that while they did see a strange light, the rest was all just a fabricated, elaborated lie. They were no way just on hash if that's what the fucking trip they had. Of course, the other three, 
Charlie, Jack, and Jim are adamant that the entire story is true. Coming forward and saying that Chuck is just a short-tempered man lashing out at his former friends trying to discredit us. Remove our credibility because he's pissy and he's butthurt. What did he get butthurt over? No one ever talked about why. If I had to guess, I would assume that the three probably found a way to make more money. Yeah. And he was like, fuck that. Like, I was a part of that. You guys are screwing. Like, if I had to guess what this falling out had to be was something so traumatic that all four of you went through to end a friendship like that, it would have to be over money. Money. It had to be over. And he got pissy and they either screwed him out of a deal or... Right. You or know like what I mean? He wanted to do a deal that they didn't want to do and yeah. pissed him off. So he was like, I'm going to ruin it for everyone. Yeah. I don't know, man. With the polygraphs and everything, though, like. Yeah. And since the bombshell that Chuck dropped, the other three continue making appearances all over, telling what they say is their truth and sharing their story in the Allagash Woodlands to people all over the world. And that is the Allagash abduction. I'd love to know what you guys, if you think it is real or not. I think it's your standard abduction. Anytime someone goes under hypnosis and a polygraph, but then again, to me, Mm -hmm. how do you polygraph a hypnotic session? Right. Because of course it's going to be true. Right. Because your mind, your subconscious is coming through that hypnosis and Mm -hmm. saying this is true. So how do we know they all didn't get, you know what I mean? Like, how do we know that they're not, making it up and they all didn't get together right. but how do we know that this is just one weird coincidence that is fucking true i don't know i don't know and, and also we could say that chuck like men in black came to him like maybe yeah. he was doing something and right like someone he, came and threatened the shit out of him he was able to connect the dots and men in black came and was like yep yep and like something go public Right. You've got to do this right now or we're going to kill your whole family and we're going to kill all your friends. And he's like having to separate himself in order to protect them. Like, that's me being a psycho. Or same thing. They came to him and he got scared. Mm -hmm. So he started to distance himself from his friends. He was no longer doing what they're doing, caused the falling out. Mm -hmm. And then he was like, I've got to protect you guys. I've got to tell the world the story's fucking fake. Right. Like, we don't need to be getting money off this because we're becoming a target at this point. Yeah. I mean, that could be it, too, if we were going to say that that was the case. And then also, like, that's got that's a lot of pressure. Constantly having people, like, question you and, like, your story and your truth. Like, if that is their truth, like, at some point, I would probably be like, no, fuck it. Yeah, we made it up. Like, if it just became too much. so much frustration. Yeah, just being like, yeah, you're right. We fucking lied. I mean, literally, when those people on that TikTok were like, they fucking hate each other. It's secret. And we were like, yep, we fucking hate each other. We're like, we actually despise each other. We We, don't even record in the same room. This is all fake. This is all fake. This is all a giant lie. (laughs) This is all just a giant Giant lie just to get some millions. Yeah, like Morgan (laughs) didn't even come to the University of Tennessee. She went to Pitt. Like, it's just just all a fucking lie. (laughs) This is all a fucking social experiment. Like, no, it really could have been, you know, like, because like, why would you go so long and just to like give up your lie like if it was a lie you take that shit to the grave 28 years you chuck Mm -hmm. were going on tour you were talking about it you're getting booked you're going on shows you're having shows you're aired after you and you're getting paid and then you're all of a sudden like fucking lie it was a lie why would you ruin that for yourself right like if they're continually still to this day able to go to these conventions profitable off their story you are like I don't know. Like I what mean, what would be so damning that you would like break that? 
and right. make everybody question you like you're a giant fucking liar. Yeah. And another thing is like, if it really didn't happen, you don't ever come out after 28 years after, of lying. I would take that to my grave. To my grave. Because I'd, like, I would be mortified. Would you ever get a job again? No. Right. Because people are like, you're a giant fucking liar. God forbid something happens and someone that you love or you're close to gets murdered. You're immediately arrested. You're right. immediately sentenced because you're a compulsive liar. Yeah. Like that's just a, a big risk I, I wouldn't ever want to take. Me neither. Yeah. Anyway, that's all I have. That is eight the, years. Yeah. That's longer than me and you have ever been alive. Yeah. And up until what what also is weird about the story is that all of the nightmares started coming after 12 years. So I mm. wonder if they were abducted again. That or something happened that or if whatever they use some sort of like temporary am amnesia or mm -hmm. whatever like worn off yeah I don't know it's just weird yeah the entire story is weird because no one else really had visions until 12 years later and then all of a sudden everyone started having them right or and I feel like if it was all made up then they would have done it earlier like as soon as it happened yeah and these UFO researchers Sorry. like these UFOologists mm -hmm. like they are purposely like trying to pull out the like fake ones. The fake shit. You know what I mean? So for them to give them the time of day, like, like it has must to have be some consistencies pretty like, legit. that aren't public, you know? Right. And there's got to be more yeah. to it. Ooh, I got a rabbit hole for you guys. Ooh. Morgan's got it for you. Oh, I thought you were about to start your case. Oh, yeah, I am. I'm like, what's your rabbit hole? Oh, I do have a rabbit hole on mine, too. Don't yeah, worry. Do. A lot of new things coming out, too, which you guys know I'm typically not down for, but I feel like this one is... Yeah you know, legit enough that I can. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much, Morgan. I loved your alien abduction. Thanks. I I'm glad to be back in the abduction space. I needed something just a little lighter after the last. Yeah. One. It was just a after lapse. 139. Yeah. 100%. 100%. Yeah. Okay. So the case I have for you guys today is multi-layered and I'm just going to hop right into it. Okay. So May 30th, 2010, 21-year-old Stephanie Flores Ramirez was in a Texas Hold'em tournament Ooh. in Lima, Peru at the Atlanta City Casino. This was one of Stephanie's favorite things to do, and she was really good at it. She was pretty much a regular at this casino as she was a business student at the University of Lima, and her family was very well known. Her father, Ricardo Flores, was the former president of the Peruvian Automobile Club and a former race car driver and a very successful businessman that was currently at this point in time a presidential candidate. Wow. Right. Stephanie was Ricardo's only daughter and she had four brothers. So she was a natural born queen. She was the queen. The queen. She was described as someone who was humble, kind, respectful, talkative, and just an inviting spirit. That night on May 30th, when Stephanie did not return home from this Texas Hold'em tournament, her father began to worry as this was extremely unlike his daughter. So it was like the next morning, like afternoon, evening when she wasn't texting him, calling him, coming home. He's like, something's, something's wrong. Yeah. And like I said, she was a very respectful girl and always made sure that her father was aware of her plans. And plus, like he's a presidential candidate, like he does need to know where she's at at all times. At all times. At all times. So Ricardo calls Enrique, who is his son, Stephanie's older brother, to come to the house and help him look for Stephanie. They begin calling every single one of her friends, the casino, really anyone that they could think of, but it was to no avail. No one had seen or heard from Stephanie. 
Upon this realization, they immediately called the police and reported 21-year-old Stephanie missing on the evening of May 31st, just 24 hours after they had last spoken with her. Police went to the hotel that the casino was located in and pulled all of the surveillance footage. As they sifted through hours and hours of videos, they finally found her. Stephanie was playing in the tournament just like she had told her father. She entered the tournament room at 3 in the morning and sat down beside this blonde man who had been in that room sitting at the table for like a few hours prior. Police watched as she played through the entire tournament and then she leaves the tournament room with that blonde man that she was sat down beside. The two together walked to hotel room 309 and they entered the door at 5.16 a.m. Just about two and a half hours or so later, the man leaves the hotel room and returns shortly after with two cups of coffee and some toast. But about an hour after re-entering the room, the man leaves the hotel with just his backpack and he told the hotel staff like, hey, don't disturb the woman that's in room 309. She's sleeping like she was up really late. So don't go in there. She doesn't need towels. Police took this footage back to Stephanie's family and Ricardo does confirm like, yep, that is my daughter. But he had never seen that man before. Hotel employees told police that room 309 was registered to a 22-year-old man and gave police his full name. This name sent shivers down their spines. They knew this man all too well. Everyone knew his name, which is why when police relayed this to Ricardo and his wife, after just a simple Google search, they screamed in terror. Just an hour after this, in the early morning hours of now June 2nd, 2010, Stephanie Flores was found dead in hotel room 309. She had been brutally beaten to death. Her neck was broken with dried blood seeping out of her left ear and nose. She had blunt force trauma on the back of her head and lower neck, along with signs of asphyxiation, which led to brain hemorrhaging. And ultimately, this was determined to be her cause of death. Inside of the hotel room, police discovered a tennis racket that is believed to be her murder weapon. A toxicology report found that Stephanie had tested positive for drugs and alcohol, specifically date rape drugs that had her come out positive for amphetamines. 50 blocks away from the hotel, police found Stephanie's car. Inside, they found these drugs, date rape drugs. However, they could not locate her purse, her ID, or that $1,000 that her father had given her in cash at the beginning of the night. Investigators knew that the man Stephanie was last seen with had done this to her and he was dangerous. An international arrest warrant was put out for him. He was a flight risk. His name was Joran Vandersloot a Dutch national and the primary suspect in the disappearance case of Natalie Holloway. Holy crap, chills. And Natalie Holloway's disappearance took place five years to the day earlier, May 30th, 2005. Immediately after releasing his photo and description to the public, which really was like, Everyone already knew who he was, but just seeing his face again in the news was jarring. Joran was immediately reported to be seen crossing the border into Chile. Following this tip, he was arrested in Chile on June 3rd. He was trying to make it to Aruba with clothes in his backpack that were covered in Stephanie's blood. My God. (sighs) Joran was brought back to Peru where he was in interrogated. Initially, he maintained his innocence, saying that an armed man had entered the hotel room and attacked him and Stephanie. Where? 
When, on what camera? On where. But with all the surveillance footage from the camera that literally sat right above room 309 and four days of interrogation, he finally confessed. Telling police that he watched as Stephanie, who was on his laptop, like I guess he had gone and got in the shower and she like grabbed his laptop to look up something. He came out and was like, what are you doing on my laptop? Well, she had seen a message that had popped up that he did not want her to see. He went on to say that because he was drunk, like they had had 10 drinks in at this point, Stephanie began grilling him about this message and it got like really heated. He said that Stephanie then like hit him trying to leave the room while he was trying to explain himself about this message and he reacted by hitting her back and it escalated from there. Joran said that he had to do this. He had to kill her okay. because he was afraid that she was going to go to police with what she saw on that pop-up message. That message was detailing his involvement in the Natalie Hallway case. Wow. At the time, Natalie's name was thrusted back into the media, into the spotlight. And this is a huge deal. But in order to understand what exactly was going on in Natalie's case at this point in time... I need to walk you through the entire case. On October 21st, 1986, Natalie Ann Holloway was born in Clinton, Mississippi to David or Dave and Beth Holloway as the first of their two children. Natalie had a little brother named Matthew. When Natalie was seven, her parents divorced and the children lived for the most part full time with their mother in Memphis, Tennessee until 2000 when Beth remarried a man named George Twitty and moved Natalie and Matthew to Mountain Brook, Alabama because George was a very wealthy and prominent Alabama businessman. For those who don't know, Mountain Brook is a very, very, very wealthy Birmingham suburb. Natalie attended Mountain Brook High School, where she was on the dance team, as well as a few other sports teams, a member of National Honor Society, and an honor student. She was incredibly intelligent and was said to be very kind, fun, and just a really motivated girl, which only makes sense because when she graduated with honors from high school in May of 2005, Natalie was awarded a full-ride scholarship to the University of Alabama on a pre-med wow. track. Yeah. Wow. 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 And guys, she was so excited to go to Alabama. After all of her hard work and dedication to her education paid off, Natalie and almost all of her senior class, I'm talking 124 fellow grads, were off to celebrate with a graduation trip to Aruba. Ooh. So fun, which I didn't know this about Aruba. I mean, I guess I did know, but like I've never like thought about it. It's owned, I believe, by like the Netherlands. It's like Dutch. Oh, right. I didn't know that either. Yeah, it, it makes sense like when I'm saying it, but I guess I've never like actually thought about it. Yeah. So you're going to hear me say like a lot of stuff about like I'm going to say Dutch words. I'm going to be talking about the Netherlands in terms of like councils and courts and stuff. Wow. So, I didn't know that. I know. Isn't that wild? I, I just like guess I never like thought about it like that. Yeah. But it does make sense now that I'm thinking about it. Either way, they would be going on a trip for five days to Aruba and they were ready to go hard. Right. They were like, it was crazy. Though this was not an official senior trip through the school, there would be seven teachers and parents that were chaperoning the 124 students. And this is high school. High right? school. Not, okay. Yeah. So they just graduated high school. The chaperone said that they met with the students every day just to like check in and make sure everyone was good. But again, like these kids were 18 years old, so they were adults. So really, like the chaperones were just there to make sure nothing went sideways and they just let the kids do whatever they wanted to do. The group arrived in Aruba on Thursday, May 26, 2005. And damn, 
They really did it, y'all. They went in. It was described by the police commissioner and the hotel staff as wild partying, insane amounts of alcohol all hours of the day, tons of room hopping, and just absolutely feral unhingedness. Wow. I mean, you can only imagine that from like, this community. I did a I did a group of seven to Cancun for my senior trip and we were insane. So no. I can't imagine 124. 124. And like, okay, so I know one one thing I want to mention about the tons of room hopping. Like that is really dangerous in hotels. Like you're not supposed to room hop ever. Your yeah. name's supposed to be on that hotel room. So that was like a really big issue in Natalie's case. Mm-hmm. So just just so you know, for all of our kids, for all of our students that are going on their senior trips, college, you know freshman and I mean not freshman no room hopping high school like don't room hop make sure that you're in your room I know it's fun to like go hang out in there you can do it one night if you want to spend the night with your busties that are in another room but like don't be doing it too often right so either way it just got so out of hand that on their second or third day there the Holiday Inn Resort that they were staying at told the school and the chaperones that their students would not be welcomed back like ever oh my god yeah they're on, their, they're on the shit list. They were like, they were literally Mountain Brook High School. I don't ever want to fucking see you again. Wow. It was so bad. On their last night there, which was May 29th, the group decided to go all out, leaving the hotel resort, probably because they were not allowed to go there. to the bar. Right. So they headed to a local bar and then a nightclub that was called Carlos and Charlie's. Natalie got a ride with a guy that she had been hanging out with at the bar to the nightclub and his two friends at 1.30 a.m. And this was now in the early morning hours of May 30th, 2005. The next morning, all the graduates and chaperones met in the lobby to check in with everyone before taking the shuttle to the airport to fly home. But Natalie did not show up in the lobby. At first, they assumed like, oh, she definitely just overslept. We were out super late last night. So they go to Natalie's room, like a few people go to her room using an extra key just to wake her up. When they entered the room, they found Natalie's luggage completely packed up, ready to go, and her her passport was laying beside it, but there was no sign of Natalie anywhere in this room because it looked as if she had gotten up, packed up, gotten ready to leave. They assumed maybe she had like, gone down to the lobby to get coffee or breakfast or something and just kind of lost track of time. So at this point, everyone in that group starts looking for her. They could not find her. When the shuttles arrived, the group had exhausted all measures to locate Natalie on the resort property and they needed to catch their flights. I mean, this is 124 people plus seven chaperones. So like they've got, they're taking up the whole damn flight. They got to go. A few volunteered to stay behind and wait for her while the rest of the group went to the airport, at which point one of the chaperones called Natalie's mother to inform her about this situation. Like we cannot find Natalie. By the time the rest of Natalie's group's plane took off to go back home, Betty and her husband George were on a private flight with their close friends to Aruba like it was their friends planes that they asked will you take us down there police were already at the resort to greet them when they arrived and they had pulled all the security footage of Natalie's last known locations her mother was able to identify the three men that Natalie had gotten in the car with through employees and locals around the hotel the three men were 21 year old and I'm really sorry if I pronounce this wrong. I've tried to like listen to other people say it. I think it's Deepak Kalpo, who the car belonged to. That's the car she had gotten into. His brother, 18-year-old Sadish Kalpo, and then their friend, 17-year-old Jordan Vandersloot. There we are again. There we are again. 
At this time, Jordan was a Dutch honor student living in Aruba while attending the International School of Aruba. And he was really well known around these resorts for trying to get a hookup with the tourist. He sure was. He sure was. Yeah. We have a personal account to get to at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Her mother, George, and their friends went straight to Jordan's house with two Arubian police officers to search for Natalie, thinking like maybe she was there. She like spent the night, lost her track of time. But when they got there and asked for her, Jordan insisted that he did not know a Natalie Holloway, never heard of a Natalie Holloway in his entire life. So they're like, oh, well, here you go. Here is a picture, a of picture you. and a video of her getting into your car. So do you remember her so, now? Yeah. And of course, this refreshed his memory. He and Deepak told the police that after the bar, Natalie begged them to take her to see sharks instead of going to the club. And since it was her last day, her last night, they obliged. So they drove her. So they are doing her a favor. Doing her mind. a favor. So, yeah. Okay. So they drove her to the California Lighthouse on the Arashi Beach. They looked around at the sharks for a little bit, and then they dropped her off at the Holiday Inn Hotel at approximately 2 a.m. When asked if they could recall anything weird about that night, the only thing that they could think of was when they dropped Natalie off at the hotel. She was getting out of the car, and she tripped and fell. Jordan said he like tried to help her, but she refused any of their help. They said their goodbyes, and she started walking in. They drove off. But as they were driving off, they were watching her as she walked into the hotel. And he and Deepak saw a dark man in a black shirt who looked like he was wearing a security guard outfit approach Natalie. But this was the first of 100 billion different versions of this story that this group gives. Great. Yeah. So the very next morning, the search and rescue teams began their efforts to find Natalie Holloway. Hundreds of volunteers from the U.S. and Aruba joined in. The Arubian government gave thousands of their citizens the day off in order to like help in this search. Right. And 50 Dutch Marines conducted an extensive search of the shorelines. Meanwhile, police continued their investigation of the last known whereabouts of Nadley. Investigators gathered an incredible amount of potential evidence, physical and forensic, which would later hurt them because of false leads. Like when you have too many things and not like a direct path, like there's just too much to even sift through at that point. They also scoured through hundreds and hundreds of hours of security camera footage from the bar, from the club, from the hotels, all the streets. It was just so much. But there were and still are to this day very conflicting accounts and reports on whether the hotel lobby cameras were functioning the night that Natalie disappeared. Really odd. Oh, that is odd. To some, though, it did not matter either way as there were various ways that Natalie could have accessed her room other than the lobby. Like, you don't have to go through the lobby to get to your room, which kind of like where we stayed on Madison's Bachelorette. Like, we could have entered the room from numerous ways, numerous ways, you know? So they were like, we're not too freaked out about that because she could have gotten up there either way. Yeah. You know, and I say all this just to explain to you how much of a shit show this investigation was from the jump. Because at first, the main lead that investigators were following was Joran's story about the security guard and immediately zeroed in on two former security guards from a nearby hotel, which at the time was closed due to renovations. These men were Nick John and Abraham Jones, both of which were arrested on suspicion of murder and kidnapping on June 5th in Natalie's case. Now, this was a shock as it was just days after Natalie had disappeared and police never disclosed what they had on these men publicly. Think about the amount of evidence that you have to have in place to support an arrest for a murder and a kidnapping. Now, 
laws are really different in Aruba. They do not like have to have concrete evidence to arrest you. But still, this was a giant shock because at the time, Natalie was only declared missing. She was not. No one said anything about, about murder. Yeah. Then four days later on June 9th, they also arrested Joran and the Calpo brothers on suspicion of kidnapping and murdering Natalie, too. So now we have five people that are arrested in Natalie's case. Though it was easy to it is easy to arrest people in Aruba, the downside to this is it's really hard to keep them in custody once you arrest them. In order to keep them, you have to have like proof that the investigation is coming and you have evidence that's building on these individuals. Because of this, Nick and Abraham were released on June 13th and their charges were completely dropped. This was mainly because of what they were learning about Jordan and the Calpo brothers. From day one, investigators suspected foul play and just deceit coming from these three men. So they had been working 24-hour surveillance on these men. I'm talking like wiretaps, someone following them, watching the home, Good for them, literally. Monitoring the emails, like shit, man. They wow. were in on it. Then on June 17th, another man was arrested. He was like a local jockey named Steve Gregory Krause or Crows based on statements that Jordan and the brothers were giving police saying that they saw him with Natalie at the end of the night or something. But it's never been publicly announced exactly what it was. And on June 22nd, Jordan's father, Paulus, was also arrested and to be brought in for questioning. Wow. Paulus and Steve were both released it's on June 22nd. It's just like overload. Of overload. Again, just like the yeah. arrest, Suspects. the evidence, the I mean, it's just too much information. Like, how are you going to properly do this? Right. All the while, the authorities were also releasing conflicting and misleading information indicating that they knew Natalie was murdered at the lighthouse to the media. It was just a shit show. Yeah. By July 4th, 2005, Jordan and the brothers were at hearings and still in police custody, continually changing their stories from we took her to the hotel after we left the lighthouse to we left her at the lighthouse and she walked on the beach home to the brothers left Jordan and Natalie on the beach so they could hook up and then they both separately walked home to they all four went back to Jordan's house after going to the lighthouse and the brothers said that they were going to take Natalie home a few hours later and they said that they dropped her off. Can they make up their minds? I mean, it is just crazy. Their story changed every single fucking time they told it. And it's not like a little change. It's like massive. Like a whole new story. A whole new story. After their hearings, the brothers were released, but Jordan remained in police custody. Meanwhile, in terms of the actual search and rescue efforts that were going on, they were fruitless and filled with just so many rabbit holes and false leads slash reports. So the FBI comes in and they partner with the Arubian government to be like, look, we need to assess. This is not going well. Honestly, Arubian officials like they're doing good. It's just a little they're, they're very thorough. Right. And for them to just allow access like FBI come in. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they are. They are trying. You can to tell that the they want to help. Yeah. Right. So the Arubian authorities hand over the entire case file, all the evidence they've collected, all the interviews that they've done, like literally everything that they had gathered thus far on the case. And they were like, please do something. Yeah. Help us. Natalie's family offered extremely large rewards that just continually grew and grew and grew for any information in Natalie's case. But later they just capped it at $250,000 for any information that would lead to Natalie's body. And I say this to show you just how quickly the 
morale was dropping in hope of finding Natalie. FBI investigators found a piece of duct tape with strands of blonde hair attached to it and sent it to the Quantico Labs for testing, only to find that the hair did not belong to Natalie. And that is just one example of testing that had been done and evidence that that had been collected that had nothing to do with Natalie's case at all. Yeah, but that was just so much. Whose hair was that? Right. On August 26th, the Calpo brothers were rearrested along with a new guy named Freddie A. It's like Armabatsis. And he was 21 years old. But on September 3rd, all four men, Jordan, the brothers, and Freddie were all released because a judge released them. Despite the fact that the prosecution was like doing everything that they could to keep them in custody. Obviously, this causes an uproar. So the judge that had released them says, look, we're going to release them under the conditions that they must remain available to police at all times, a.k.a. like put them on parole. However, just 11 days after placing this condition, they lifted it, specifically the Combined Appeals Court of the Netherlands, Antilles and Aruba lifted them. For what reason? They didn't have enough evidence to keep them. My God. Yeah. After their release, Jordan gave tons and tons of interviews to the media like Fox News, CNN, AB, like it was insane. During which he once again changed his story a million times on recording. Isn't that enough evidence like to prove right that there? something's wrong? Yeah. As we all know, this case continued to just get more wild, more unhinged, more out of hand, and just really more unorganized, if that could even be a thing. Many other suspects were arrested. The main three were rearrested and released several times over and over again. Books were released by Jordan Vandersloot, by Natalie's father, Dave Holloway, and many reporters that had been working the case from day one. The searches continued and they expanded. And this went on for years and years, leading us to March 29th, 2010. So we're now back on the timeline leading up to Stephanie's murder, two months prior to her murder, almost a five-year anniversary of Natalie. Natalie's disappearance. Jordan Vandersloot reaches out to Beth's, who is Natalie's mother's lawyer. His name is John Q. Kelly. And Jordan says, look, I'll show you the location of Natalie's body for that $250,000 reward. No worries, though. I'm only going to ask that you send me $25,000 up front. Okay. So John Q. Kelly immediately calls the FBI in and they negotiate this exchange and arrange it to happen. On May 10th, an undercover investigator in Aruba gave Jordan $10,000 in cash while videoing him because he was going to be the one that was collecting the exchange. So like he was going to tell him what he knew. And they then wire transferred the remaining $15,000 into his account that was in the Netherlands. Once he got the receipt, he gave over the information that he promised, telling authorities that Natalie's body was located in a house nearby. But after just a little digging and a search, investigators learned that this was completely a giant fucking lie because that house had not even been built at the time of Natalie's disappearance. Jordan used this $25,000 to pay for him a vacation in Lima, Peru, which is where these two cases collide. Oh, my God. Five years to the day after Natalie was murdered, Jordan Vandersloot murders Stephanie Flores. And like I said, he was arrested in Chile on June 30th for the murder of Stephanie. Also that same day. So does say June 30th or June 3rd? June 30th. It's Jeff, definitely June 3rd. June 3rd. 
That same day, June 3rd, 2010, he was also charged with extortion and wire fraud by the U.S. District Court of Northern Alabama. After which, the U.S. Attorney Joyce White Vance obtained an arrest warrant and transmitted it to Interpol, which is like everyone knows what Interpol is, right? If you don't watch Narcos, they explain it really good. (laughs) So... On June 7th, he admitted that he killed Stephanie in a rage, the Peruvian officials claiming that it was accidental because she freaked out after seeing a message on the laptop that detailed his involvement in Natalie's case. And he promised to tell police in Aruba where Natalie's remains were if he did not have to face trial for Stephanie's murder. Police obviously were like, fuck no, no one trusts you. We're not agreeing to this. So on June 30th, this is where the 30th comes in. Joran Vandersloot was indicted on his charges by the U.S. Then in Double September, whammy. D- like triple whammy, back yeah. to back to back to back. In September 2010, investigators from Aruba were able to interview Jordan in his Peruvian prison, where he allegedly admitted to planning this entire extortion wire transfer plot because, quote, he wanted to get back at Natalie's family for making his life so hard. Okay. Well, you killed their daughter. Well, you so. literally fucking. And now you very just killed obviously, someone else's daughter. Exactly. On March 14th, 2011, Jordan's computer hard drive was examined by the FBI, during which they found several websites that he had continually looked at about Natalie's case. However, they did not release anything else that they found. So I'm assuming that they're keeping the majority of this information hidden for when we get him back in the U.S. Probably to be able to arrest him for Natalie's disappearance. Hopefully by the so end of this smart. year. I hope that they have it. Like, I hope they really did find something that is damning enough that they can. The next day on January 12th, 2012, Natalie Holloway was officially declared deceased at the request of her family, specifically her father. On July 4th, 2014, Jordan married a woman named Lady Figueroa, question mark, a Peruvian woman that sold goods inside of the prison. And at the time of their marriage, she was seven months pregnant with their child, born in September of that year, but not before his daddy in August of 2014 was transferred to the Chalapalca prison, which is in the mountains of South Peru. This is known as one of the most harsh and rough prisons because of A, the altitude, B, the dangerous criminals that are kept there. So it was no shock when just two months after this transfer, it was reported that he had been stabbed and placed in critical condition by another inmate. He survived and maintained that it was not an inmate that stabbed him, but instead it was a Peruvian officer. I'm sure. Okay. I hope it was. Yeah. Honestly, I don't give a fuck. In February of 2021, so literally just a few years ago, he was convicted of drug trafficking. Yes, while in prison because he ran a cocaine operation inside of the prison by having his family members, a.k.a. his wife, bring in sugar beets that were empty and filled with cocaine into the prison starting in August of 2020. That same prison, the max. Mm -hmm. Okay. And this added an additional 18 years on his original sentence. However, in Peru, the law prohibits prison sentences that exceed 35 years if that prisoner is not sentenced to life in prison. So like, they would have to combine these sentences. But that doesn't really matter because since he was charged with the U.S. charges between Stephanie's charges and this charge, technically the U.S. has a trial still. A trial between the two. So we get him next. And then he goes back and serves those 18 years separately. 
meaning he is scheduled for release in 2045, which brings us to the breaking news that was released just recently as we're recording this, which is May of 2023. On May 10th, 2023, it was announced by Natalie's family that Jordan Vandersloot will be extradited from Peru to Birmingham, Alabama on the charges of fraud and extortion relating to Natalie's disappearance, according to the New York Post. But last night, I get breaking news alerts that he is now claiming that his father murdered Natalie Holloway. The father did. No, technically, they murdered her together, according to this new fucking story. So on May 26th, like we said, we're recording this on May 29th. I don't know that we said that, but I'm saying it now. We're recording this on May 29th. Jordan Vandersloot claims that his father buried Natalie Holloway under the house, according to court documents. And this is from the New York Post, written by Olivia Land. The primary suspect in the disappearance of the Alabama teen Natalie Holloway once claimed that his father buried her under a house only to redact the story in a sick alleged plot to get money from her grieving family. Jordan Vandersloot, 35 years old now, was one of the last known people to be with 18-year-old Natalie Holloway before she vanished in Aruba on May 30th, 2005. He will be extradited to Birmingham next month, so in June now. Wow. On charges of fraud and extortion stemming from the allegations that he tried to swindle $250,000 from Natalie's family in 2010, indicating that the foundation of a home where he claimed that his late father Paulus lived is where the remains of the girl are. Quote, Vandersloot went on to admit that he had been with Natalie Holloway on the night of May 29th to May 30th and that he had thrown her to the ground after she attempted to stop him from leaving her. Vandersloot claimed that when she fell to the ground, she hit her head on a rock and died as a result of the impact, the statement said from FBI agent William K. Bryan. The seven-page excerpt also details how Vandersloot, then 22, reached out to Beth Holloway's lawyers in March of 2010 with the offer to reveal the daughter's fate in exchange for $250,000. However, quickly unraveled when the contractor who worked on the home where Vandersloot claimed that Natalie was buried said that the property was not under construction and until May 30th, 2005. The contractor's information also verified by satellite imagery from May 29th and June 5th. So they just pulled up the satellite receipts. That is crazy. That's, that's wild. That's a thing. That's a thing. In a May 17, 2010 email, Vandersloot admitted to Holloway's attorney that he had concocted the entire story. Just days later, on the fifth anniversary of Natalie's disappearance, Vandersloot strangled Stephanie Flores, 21 years old, at a casino in Lima, Peru. No, he beat her with a tennis racket. He did not just fucking strangle her. Who wrote this? I, Olivia Land. Your facts right, babe. He was later sentenced to 28 years behind bars for killing and has been in a Peruvian prison ever since. Earlier this week, his attorney. Now, this is a really interesting thing that I saw last night. I don't know this for sure, but apparently his attorney is the same attorney that has represented Donald Trump for years. Oh. Like a powerhouse attorney. Which How does is he really even weird. That? He's been in jail. He's been in a max I don't know. Security prison in the Peruvian mountains. How the fuck How is this can even he a thing? Afford that attorney. Earlier this week, his attorney said that even a murder conviction hasn't stopped his client from receiving positive attention. Quote, all of his friends from all over the world sent letters to Jordan. I rented him a P.O. box to receive them. Some letters brought 10 euro, 20 euro, $5. They were girls who wrote and sent him letters with money and he answers to all of them. End quote. He boasted. 
It's fucking disgusting. Y'all are fucking crazy. I'm sorry. I'm not actually. No, I'm not fucking sorry. Y'all are crazy. Y'all are disgusting. not right in the fucking head. I'm sorry. Fuck y'all. Fuck that. After nearly two decades, no one has been charged in connection with Natalie Holloway's disappearance. She was legally declared dead in 2012. Quote, I was blessed to have Natalie in my life for 18 years. And as of this month, I will have been without her for exactly 18 years, Beth says. That is heartbreaking. (sighs) She would have been 36 years old today. It has been a very long and painful journey, but the persistence of many is going to pay off. Together, we will finally get Natalie her justice. And I hope they do. I hope they do too. I hope he doesn't fucking scam out of this. I just have this feeling. Well, they will for sure be able to charge him on these charges for lying and if they have it in writing that it was a plot. Exactly. And like clearly this dude's psycho, like psychotic, not like not like a joke, like for real a sociopath. Absolutely. A and narcissist. It, and these two, they're they're not his only victims. No, there's no way. He clearly has had rage issues. He's going around to these resorts. And his and, daddy knows. And his dad dad recently passed away. I want to say in like 2014 passed away. His daddy knew. Right. So there's something that it's not adding up. And the way that they they arrested him is really interesting. And actually, I, I believe that many people believe that it was his father that killed her. Really? Yeah. I just I feel like there's so many things out there about Natalie Holloway's case that it's really hard to not go down the rabbit holes of like the Each different versions timeline, of the stories. Yeah. Because, I mean, it would take me... Most anytime someone covers Natalie's case, it's either 40 minutes of just like pure facts like I just did or it's four hours, four and a half hours. Like the case file episode is two hours and 30 minutes. Wow. And you know that they're very concise to the point with only like very good information. But I would 100 percent recommend that you go listen to the case files episode on it if you want to hear a more detailed runaround of this entire case. I feel like most people, for the most part, know Natalie's case. It's been something we've talked about for 18 years now. Yeah. And unfortunately, even if he is convicted of her murder, we'll never know the full story. We'll never know. Mm -mm. They'll never find her body. No. No, no, unfortunately. They're just going to have to find enough evidence. I feel like the U.S. at this point has enough that they could give him some charges. Yeah. Even if it's this wire fraud. How old is he now? Do we know? He's 30. I think it's at 32. 32. 32, 36. We know he's got another at least 18, Mm -hmm. which will make him 50. Mm -hmm. And then the U.S. will probably hit him with at least a 25. Right. For the extortion. Yeah. 75. And then if they can get enough uh, many warrants to, you know, search his stuff like that hard drive, if they could get more, Mm -hmm. they might. I think they have something. Me too. I don't I don't think that they would be so secretive about what was found on that hard drive if they didn't find something. Yeah. But I'm sure the FBI is keeping their mouth so shut until and they we get should. him. Yeah, they need to. I mean, I because we watched it one too many times yep. between Gabby, between like 100 percent. It's just much. really a lot. So Morgan, tell us. OK, yeah. So what's so weird about this, mm-hmm. actually, just like the coincidental of like us covering reading this on mm-hmm. May 29th. And this happened May 29th, May 30th. Oh, my God. And it comes out on June 1st. And two weeks ago, my mom had texted me whenever they released that he was being extradited mm-hmm. into the United States. 
my mom had texted me and asked if we had covered the Natalie Holloway case. And I was like, no, not yet. Like I, it's on the list. You know? Right. And I was like, why? She was like, I just have a really interesting connection. I'm like, okay, well, don't leave me at that. What the fuck? Tell, Tell me, me right more. now, Bethany. Call me. So my mom used to go to Aruba almost every year when I was growing up with her work friends. It was a work trip. They mm -hmm. had some sort of dental seminar down there. Mm -hmm. And she had happened to be in Aruba six months before Natalie's disappearance slash murder. Wow. And she had stayed at. Now, this is a part where I'm a little iffy on. I'm not sure if she stayed at the Holiday Inn that Natalie stayed at or if she was staying in the sister resort of that Holiday Inn right next door. The so, one that was under construction that the two security guards. Yeah. So from. I think what happened is that the Holiday Inn was under construction when my mom was staying at the sister resort. And then by the time Natalie had gotten there, the resort my mom stayed at was under construction. And like for those wondering, both. I think it's like Allegora. It's A-L-L-E-G-U-R-A or I-A. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. So my mom was there and they were her and her girlfriends and they're all gorgeous ladies. My mother is gorgeous, stunning. You would literally look at her and be like, so you're Rocking 30? God. You're 30. Perfect, perfect tits. Yeah. Okay? You're, and <laughs> Bethann is literally fucking sexy. Sorry. And the Bucky girls, hit it out the fucking park. Yeah, Bucky must have been good looking. I don't know what, where he got her at. But <laughs> anyway, so my mom and her girlfriends were all there at the resort and they were being hounded by the security guard. And like, he was like totally like creeping them out and just like giving them bad vibes. And he was a townie friend with Joran, Joran Vandersloot. And sorry, I keep wanting to call him Jordan or George. Yeah. Joran Vandersloot. And there was one night, one instance, well, Joran started coming around with the security guard and just like bothering them, like nonstop everywhere they looked like those two were there. Wow. And they had been in their room one night, like ready to go to bed. Like at the, my mom is turning 60 in seven days. So no, eight, she's literally not. In 2005, she was 42 years old. Granted, she probably looked like she was 28 or 30. Mm -hmm. But, you know, she's 42 years old. The bitch goes to bed early. OK, she still goes to bed early. So her and her girls were going to bed and they got a knock on the door and they opened it and it was the security guard and Vandersloot. And they were asking them if they wanted to come party, if they had weed on them, if they wanted to come hang out. And my mom and her friends were like, no, no. we're good. Thanks, though. And they just all like were talking about it, like the, what those fucking creeps. Like, yeah. I hate that. I feel so unsafe. Da -da -da. And like for the security guard to literally be like, oh, this is the room that they're in. Let's go. Exactly. That's Locked what's up. scary. Yeah, that's terrifying. Especially because when you were co covering the Natalie case, like mm -hmm. I didn't know anything about security guards, but you had mentioned it. And the fact that they have one access to all the rooms yep. and two and access to a database where they know what rooms everyone is in. Yep. Like that is fucking terrifying. That's terrifying. And also Nick and Abraham that I mentioned that were from that hotel that, mm -hmm. that your mom may or may not have been at, they had been charged around this exact same time with sexual assault, with like drugging people and raping them. Yeah. And also with taking pictures of people, like putting cameras in rooms. Oh, that's scary. Yeah. That is so scary. That's really terrifying. So, yeah. So what, what we're thinking is that my mom was at the sister resort. And then when that one went under construction, that entire staff moved over to the Holiday Inn where mm -hmm. Natalie was. So that probably is the security guard. I guarantee it. Yeah. I guarantee it. So anyway, they didn't think anything much of it. Like, obviously, they felt, you know, unsafe and weirded out, freaked out. They go home. They pick up their lives. She's got four kids. Three of us are under eight you know right. what i mean like what year was jordan i mean jordan marshall born 
2001. So she yeah. had a four-year-old, me six, Marley eight, yep. Mitchell was 10. Holy shit. Yeah. And she... Fuck that. that. It wasn't until six months later when Natalie's case hit the media and his Vandersloot's picture was everywhere that my mom and her friend, she got a text one day and she was like, turn on the news. Like, that's that guy from Aruba. That's the guy with the security guard. And sure enough, like it sent chills down their spine like that. Vandersloot was the guy. She knew 100 percent for a fucking fact that that was the guy that was harassing them. 100 percent. And I bet that security guard was like, hey, we have 124 grads here. Like, yep. This, you want to come here? Yeah, you need to come here. You need to come and here. And he probably was just some townie that like hung around the resort because he could get in for free. Yeah. They could they were all probably his buddies. Party, at their cl- party at their clubs mm-hmm. and, you know what I mean, get in for free because he was a security guard. And it's dangerous as fuck. Yeah. Very scary. Really, really scary. When you guys go to those resorts, it's so important that you are really on i mean we just heard about them in in jamaica where they were drugging girls Mm -hmm. and pulling them into closets and assaulting them and when you're on your honeymoon Mm -hmm. or on a bachelorette trip and don't deck out your door no do not become a target we literally ripped ours down it was up for an hour max and it was torn down because it was we didn't need that target literally in our room coming to this room there's four girls here right we're partying it up we were belligerent trip I was naked in just like you've got to be so fucking cautious left and right. You never fucking know. It just doesn't matter where you are. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you're in Ocean City, Maryland. Exactly. You're in. If you think that you're safe just because you're in the U.S. It doesn't matter. Like it does not matter. Like it is. You're not safe. We're it's unfortunate. It's fucking bullshit that females are such targets for just psychopaths. Yeah. Anyways, well, you did a great job covering thank that. Thank you. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I didn't take a fucking Adderall today, so I'm I'm struggling. <laughs> I just struggle, but I literally cannot fucking read. And my eyes going in and out the whole time. It was rough, guys. It was rough. But you're not getting a video today, unfortunately. It just, we had to fix the lighting in here because I couldn't see. And we realized at the beginning of this episode, we probably could have got some really good clips. Yeah, about the whole just, SOS thing. Just happens. Fuck, it happens Always every happens. time. And you know what? We literally started it off recording it just in case anything funny happened. Nope. Then we canceled it. <sighs> like but honestly, I feel like we're more like free balling whenever the camera's not yeah, staring down our nuts. It's you know what I feel I mean? like it's Patreon. Exactly. Because like Patreon, we just, we'll, we'll just be goofy as shit. We'll Google shit in the middle of it. But when we're on camera, we're like, oh, we got to hurry. We got to hurry. Yeah. Anyways, guys, I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. Happy I- June. Happy June. Happy Pride Month. Happy Pride Month. Happy B-Day Month. It's B-Day Month, bitch. I'm so excited. The tays, the gays, and the days. 25 <laughs> years old. I'm I can't excited. believe that. 27 days, and I'll be 25 years 25. old. 25. Oh, it's almost cancer season, June cancer season. We're currently sitting in Yeah, but Gemini you know what season. else that means? What? Venus is about to go in retrograde. Oh, my God. We're so close. We're so close. I'm not prepared. I have a feeling it's going to really do us well this year. I hope so. I I feel like we were kind of around the same thing where we weren't doing video. Yeah. The last time. We were. It did well for us. Because it's just Mercury. Mickey. <laughs> Mercury is either just getting out of retrograde right now as of the time we're recording mm-hmm. this or she's in it. Yeah. I'm not sure. I don't know, but I felt her this time. I don't time. pay attention to that bitch. I don't let her know that I'm looking. I'm looking at you. I mean, hell, she was in such bad retrograde that my whole street blew up. And then I melted a fucking pot on my stove. And then you went blind. And then I went fucking blind. So Mercury, fuck off. Fuck out of here, bitch. Oh, shit. Y'all are like, what happened to your stove? Guys, a literal pan melted. 
on the bottom. The like the metal fucking the melted. Ripped up the fucking fiberglass. I'm going to have to replace the like whole front of like top of it. And I like don't want to stress out my landlord about it. So I'm just going to fix it. I'm just going to do it myself. Like, ma'am. Either way, she's going to be like, you're going to have to pay for it. So why not? Why not? I don't know. I really feel like she'd be like, I wanted a new stove anyway. I don't want to do that to her right now. She's like, so not. If she wants to replace it, whatever. You know, she can sell it. Yeah. To someone else. And at least I like did my due diligence and like put good karma out in the world because fuck. It's not that expensive. You can get it off Amazon. Amazon. And it's just like a quick little replacement. But anyways, thanks so much for listening. If you want to be on Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash creeps and crimes. You can follow us on Instagram at creeps and crimes podcast. Taylor J with an A, morgue.m, double the G. We're kind of killing it on TikTok right now. Creeps and crimes. Creeps and crimes. Yeah, we're like kind of, you know, famous over there. We finally hit that K. We we're like really feeling ourselves. Yeah, we really are. We're, we're like. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Okay. Immediately, we're famous. We're still working on it on Instagram, but we're so close. We're so, so close. if you don't follow us, like for our own mental, it's Please. so hard to like feel validated. Ourselves yeah. and feel validated to like our, the people that we talk to every day when we say we have a podcast and we're like, oh, so many thousands listen. Yeah. And they go to look at our Instagram and not even 10% like, wow. of that follows us. And it's like, wow, fucking 8, embarrassing. 8,000 people listen to your podcast. Wow. And yeah. like, you know what? It's better than the 100 that we started with. Yeah, exactly. So it always is up. better. But if you don't follow us, please go follow us on Instagram. It's at Creeps and Crimes Podcast. Please. And you know what? I'm going to unground you because a lot of you guys have been like, yo, I was a part of the 17%, but I'm ungrounded. I'm back. Yeah. Let us know when we can unground you individually. Yeah, let us know. And That's then maybe the you'll voice. get a follow back. Oh. Maybe we extend that to the people that are letting letting us know that they're, you know, fighting the 17 percent. Yeah. Instead of just Patreon. I feel like I need a Katniss Everdeen like, yeah, the odds be ever in your favor. May the odds be ever in your favor and blow up our reels specifically if you're going to comment on anything. Yeah, please. <laughs> please. All fun. right. Love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. See you next week.